Hi, I'm Luke. And I'm Keelan. And, and this, this is Death, Death Row Dialogue. Dialogue. This is a true crime podcast where we talk about death row inmates. Hey guys, so um, I checked our reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and we're getting five-star reviews, but I'd like if you just said a little something like, Y'all are amazing. Your podcast is the best I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. You know, something simple. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we just stopped reminding y'all and, like, stopped saying anything about it. So, y'all should, you know, just do that. That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Um, I do <laughs> want to correct myself because I seem to have a problem with saying what our email is. I spent like 20 minutes trying to log into deathrowdialogue at gmail.com and I couldn't do it because it doesn't exist. It's a Yahoo account. So if you want to send us um, a suggestion or a request, you'll have to do it at um, deathrowdialogue at yahoo.com. If you send one to the Gmail, just go ahead and send one to the Yahoo and we'll forget this ever happened. I wonder how long were you there before you figured out it was a Yahoo account? A really long time. A very long time. And then once I figured it out, we had already recorded the episode. And I'd actually already posted the episode where I said, leave us a request at Gmail. And I had to go and edit the episode, like the narrative of the the episode to say Yahoo. Oh. I just couldn't fix me saying it in the middle of the podcast. Now that that's figured out, are you ready to get to death row inmate 27? 27? Yep. Yeah, I'm ready. All right, this is about Robert Streetman. He dropped out of ninth grade and then started to work in the oil field. There's mention of a serious head injury that happened in fifth grade that triggered lifelong mental problems, including delusions and hallucinations. It never said that what this head injury was. It just said that he had one. Um, but he did start doing drugs at age eight. So. Well, I feel like it'd be hard to get a, I mean, I don't really know. Hard to get a job in the oil field if, I feel like you need reliable people. And if someone's having hallucinations while you're working delusion, with delusions. heavy equipment. Well, this part came out during the trial. So it's hard to say. Yeah. And I just think it's kind of interesting that they never said what the head injury was. They didn't say if it was a car accident or if he fell off the slide or whatever it was. But starting drugs at age eight, that's like second grade. I mean, it happens. Yeah, it does happen. So when he was 17 in December of 1982, he went and shot Christine Baker, who was 44. She was shot in the head with a 22 caliber rifle while she sat knitting and watching TV in her home. Wait, is this his crime? Yeah. I thought that was going to be like, here's a list of his prior arrest. He was 17 when he did this? Yeah. Oh, wait, this is when he was working in the oil field? Yep. Like, this is what I have for you. This is the information that was given to me. <laughs> All right, I'm just I'm just making sure I they don't they don't give me a straight. timeline. <laughs> this is pieced together like a quilt. Okay. okay. All right. I just know that his occupation was oil field. 
So I don't know if like exactly what he did. Yeah, I don't know if maybe he that was the last job he had before this happened, or like when you go into um, prison for the death row, they have like this little slip, and it says like we've posted it on Facebook a few times and we couldn't find a mugshot. It's this little slip that you fill out that has your occupation, the last year you graduated in whatever schooling you went to. So that's just the last occupation he put down was at Oilfield. So um, he shot Christine Baker while she was knitting and watching TV in her home in, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but it's Counts, Texas, which is close to the Beaumont area. Can you spell it? K-O-U-N-T-Z. Yeah. Yeah, I think you said it right. Okay. Um, the shot was fired from outside of her residence. So he didn't even break in to shoot her. This was all because him and three other men, Gary Holden, David Kirkendall, and Johnny Johnson, had planned to rob Christine and her husband, Niall, of the 180000 they believe the, cu- the couple had in the home. So... I never figured out how they knew these people or why they thought they had this much money in their home. But their whole plan was to shoot Christine and Niall from outside the home and then go in and take all the money. So it obviously did not go to plan. The court records indicate that what they actually had in the home was 5000 in cash and cashier's check. But the only thing that was taken was Christine's purse and $1 in change. That she had inside of her purse. Wow. It's actually crazy. I mean, hopefully she doesn't suffer at all. Like, just to be blindsided while you're... Enjoying yourself and your home, you know? Yeah, where you think you're safe. Yeah, exactly. So, Streetman had told the men, quote, I'm going to do something I've always wanted to do. Kill another human being. Quote. So, I don't even know if it was all about the money for him. Yeah. I mean, or, it doesn't sound like it. Yeah. But they told the police that? Yeah. So, um, I'll get there a little bit later, but one of the men completely flipped on them. Yeah. So, two days later, on December 19th, they were arrested. Um, for The four men were arrested on theft of agricultural equipment. And... While interrogating the agricultural equipment theft, they discovered the involvement in Christine's murder. And later that evening, Streetman had signed a written confession along with Holden and Kirkendall, giving statements with Streetman as the killer. So they were arrested for this agricultural equipment theft. And then while the police were interrogating them, I guess they like somehow snitched on themselves that they were involved with this murder or... Something wasn't adding up, which led them to think they were part of the murder. Yeah. And then um, three of three of the four signed written statements saying that all saying that Streetman was the killer. That they were all there, but that he was the one that pulled the trigger. Oh. So. In the trial, in exchange for Holden's testimony, he received 10 years of probation. Just that's 10 it. years probation. Yep, that's it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is vastly different 
from the cases we were seeing at the beginning when we were doing the podcast, when everyone that was involved was getting thrown the death penalty. Well, you would think if someone was getting the death penalty for a crime that anyone associated would have at least prison time. Yeah. Not 10 years probation. Yeah. Kirkendall got 45 years in exchange for his plea and promised to testify. That's a huge difference. The first guy must have had a great lawyer. Mm, yeah. I don't... I don't know if... I don't, I don't know what... Maybe he was young, too, and had no record, or... Well, and I don't know what the involvements were. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how maybe Holden knew about the plan, but maybe he was in the car and Kirkendall was standing right next to Streetman. Hmm. Or maybe it was Kirkendall's idea. Or he stole the gun. Or, or he was the one that knew Christine. Hmm. You know? Right. I don't really know how they all intersect. But... Johnson got immunity. So he didn't get anything. Not probation, not jail time, nothing. Full immunity. Oh, does it say well? No. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Okay. Yeah. Um, the judge initially appointed Michael McNeely to represent Streetman, but McNeely was inexperienced with contested criminal cases and had never done a death penalty one before and due to lack of experience he requested that the judge appoint an experienced attorney to assist him and in a response the judge appointed robert Coe, and robert Coe took lead and michael mcneely was like a um, assistant basically since he didn't have experience which like honestly <clears throat> that shows a lot to mcneely's like maturity and like confidence in himself to be like hey like i know you i was a corner point on this but i don't feel like i'm at the right level to do this because i've never done a case like this yeah so like can you just send someone to help me right because like everyone at least deserves a good lawyer yeah so they presented four witnesses one was ralph osborne who was the chief deputy sheriff of hardin county and then niall baker which was christine's husband gary holden and then Clint Parr, which was one of Streetman's friends. And on the appeals, Streetman said that his confession was due to Valium and then threats and promises. So he was saying that he was on Valium when they were arrested. And that's why he confessed. And because they were threatening him and promising him to do all this stuff. Oh. He was sentenced to death on August 10th of 1983. His execution wasn't until five years later on January 7th of 1988. And two minutes after being brought to the death chamber, the attorney general's office stepped in and stopped the execution for more than an hour to clarify on an appeal. So an appeal was submitted and they weren't for sure if it was accepted or not. So he was in the death penalty and they're like, hey, can y'all can y'all wait? And they waited for more than an hour. And they're like, okay, you can go ahead. Isn't that insane? Well, but they never got a confirmation? Um... Or was denied, I guess? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, so... From what I understood, from what I was reading, it's it's always just so much... It would help if I was a lawyer. It would really help. Because I don't understand a lot of what they're saying. But from what it understood was an appeal went through, and it either went through late or it wasn't looked at on time, and then... 
they, you know, I can't say for sure. I think that they were just like, oh, it was denied. And so they did the execution. execution. And then I'm pretty sure, like, after the execution, they were like, this probably would have been accepted. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's bad. Um, but, I mean, would he still have been put to death? I mean, most likely. Yeah, probably. But I just, like, it's awful to, like, play with your emotions like that. Like, you're literally strapped to the gurney, and they're like, hold on a second. Yeah, just waiting. And then you wait for more than an hour, strapped to this gurney, I mean, and they're the like... the longest hour of his life. Yeah, and then they're like, all right, go ahead. So, um... The, we can't wait. We gotta get home. I gotta beat traffic. Are you, like, just making small talk with, like, the executioner? <laughs> yes. Got any dogs? Like, are you just not talking, you yeah, know? I, I, like, how'd you get this job? How long have you been in lethal injection? This is the first time you've uh, legally killed someone. So, it's... Interesting. Yeah. Um, the drugs were finally administered at 3.19 a.m. and he was dead seven minutes later. And typically, like, what we've seen in the past, or the trend that I've noticed, is they start the executions at midnight. Usually, it's like... 30 minutes after midnight or so when they're pronounced dead because of, you know, the getting everything situated, the witnesses and all that. Yeah. So, like, 3 a.m., that's pretty late yeah. for these Texas executions. Yeah. His last meal was scrambled eggs, flour tortillas, french fries, and iced tea. Maybe they ran out of hash browns. And that's why he got the french fries. Oh. I just think french fries is not usually a breakfast thing. Mm, sounds good. And he had no last statement. And that is the death row case of Robert Streetman. Sorry, did you say how old he was when he was put to death? When he was put to death, I didn't because it didn't tell me. And what? it didn't tell me his date of birth either. Oh. Yeah. Well. So, but I mean, it was, let's see, how many years so after he was the crime? 17. It was about six years after the crime, so about... Mid-twenties? Yeah. About there. So. But, yeah, that is another awful burglary that didn't go how they wanted. That one, that one's not even a burglary. That's just, like, them shooting someone. And then taking a dollar and change. No, I mean, like, not even, like, I feel like a burglary is like, give me your money... And then they're like, no, and then you shoot them. This is like he literally That's a robbery. walked walked <laughs> up to the window and just shot this lady for I really do wish there was more because like most of the time these burglary cases are like Oh, they burglarized a convenience store, he was high, he got fifteen dollars, and that's the end of it. Yeah. But this one, like how did he know? Or why did he think they had that much money? Yeah. Did they not look for the 50K that was there? You know, what's going on with this agricultural equipment? Yeah. How do these men know each other? Like, there's a lot of questions that weren't answered. Right. That is really aggravating. Why did that one guy get immunity? Yeah. You know, there's a, a lot of things that I wish... I just wish there was, like, one reporter back then that, like, just did the whole story for me. Just laid it out for me like Wikipedia. Yeah. That would be nice. But in, usually, the only um, 
only articles about these are the death, like the execution. It's just saying, um, their last words. Yeah. And most of the time it doesn't even say their last meal. I have to search for it. Yeah. I literally have to search up Robert Streetman, last meal, murderer or something, you know? And so I, I just keep saying, like, I hope as we get further on, I get better information. Yeah. But it just seems never ending. Yeah. All these. It almost kind of makes me feel like in the beginning they were, for lack of a better term, like trigger happy. Like they were just sentencing everyone to death. I'm not saying these people didn't deserve it. Yeah. Because they did. In my opinion, most of them deserved it. And, but it's like, there's no information. It's hard for me to make a clear opinion if I think they deserved it or not because you're not giving me anything, you know? Right. And the ones like, um, and some of them that we do when I have a ton of information, it's because I find the actual like court document that lays out the facts of the crime. Oh, okay. And so, so like, you can see like almost the whole trial. It's literally like a whole just story laid out for me. Right. And it'll say like, on this day, at this time, he was here. And it lays out the whole facts of the case. And usually those are their appeals. And so I get to actually read through them. But some of them weren't, probably didn't have good enough lawyers for that. So all I get is like a Times, a New York Times article about the execution that I have to piece together. But we will be back with another episode because, you know, this was one of the shorter burglary ones. I kind of expect when it's a burglary one that there's going to be less to talk about. Yeah, and there'll be another episode along with it. So we'll go ahead and record another one for y'all so that y'all have more to listen to this week. And we will talk to you then. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Bye.